All right, would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we're going to pick up from verse 4 to verse 15. As you're turning, you may notice that this passage is explicitly about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a doctrine that is wrapped in enigma and mystery. Or let me just say it like this in a blunt way since I'm here at Bethesda. We see some things happening in other churches. We see things like people speaking in tongues. We see these extravagant and spectacular things. We don't know what to do with that, do we? We don't know what to do with it. And so what happens is we fall into one of two places. We fall into the camp of the spectacular and we expect to see the Spirit moving in these unusual ways or we fall into the camp of silence and we say, I'm just not going to talk about that. I don't know what to do with that, so I'm just going to avoid it. Both camps have committed a grave sin against the person of the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, which camp do we fall into? As Presbyterians, we have always taken a middle ground. John Calvin is called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't dedicate a chapter to the Holy Spirit, but he's referenced everywhere. In our own Westminster Confession, it's the same way. The Holy Spirit is involved every step of the way. John Owen, a late Puritan, wrote a two-volume work on the Holy Spirit that is still considered a masterpiece today. And we could give example after example of spiritual men, of men filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet today, the Spirit is an enigma wrapped and shrouded in mystery. So today, we're going to talk solely about the Holy Spirit. And let me say one statement. It'll be our sermon in the sentence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person who applies the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is a person who applies the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and we'll kind of jump in. Heavenly Father, each week before we read the word, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. Now we pray for the Spirit's help that by word and spirit, we would understand him and his work more clearly. I pray that there would be a special, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, that he would enlighten the eyes of our heart. Help us to know this adorable person and what he has done for us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to pick up halfway through verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. 
But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no, more, no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that, I have, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and will declare it to you. And thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. Jesus is looking at his departure and he's looking at his disciples Sorrow has filled his heart, or filled their hearts. So Jesus begins to discuss the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to make the assumption, all of us here have read the Gospels, you'll notice John spends a unique amount of time discussing the Holy Spirit. The helper, as the ESV phrases it, the paraclete. There are two reasons, I think, for John's uniqueness. One, let's think of the dismal future that Jesus foretells of the disciples. Now, John writes this gospel late in life. We're thinking later, much later than the other disciples. And yet, these dismal things, the persecution, the hatred, the enmity, are continuing to happen. Is that discouraging? You betcha. We like to think that when we go to the doctor, it's a quick recovery. But when it's not a quick recovery, despair sets in. John, seeing this problem and seeing the, the poor situation continuing... We see that he writes of the helper, of the Holy Spirit, to encourage and remind his readers. But I think there's a second reason. John writes this later in his life. When he's not so, let's see how I can put this, young and dumb. You know, when you're young, you think you can do anything. When you get older, you realize that's not quite the case. John is writing this later in life when the vitality of ignorance has dissipated. John sees a weakness in his own flesh, a weakness some of us may know. 
And it brings to mind John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh availeth nothing. John had an intimate knowledge of his weakness and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Do these two reasons sound applicable today? We are growing weaker by the minute. The outer man is wasting away. And we look to the future, and the future does not look very bright. We need to be reminded of the necessity of the Holy Spirit, of who He is and what He does. So as we said earlier, the Holy Spirit is a person who applies the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's kind of cut that sentence in half and take it in pieces. Let's begin to ask the first question. Who is the Holy Spirit? We're going to use the same technique we use with anyone else. I was at the Frog Head Grill last night, and there was a man behind me, and I wanted to get to know him, so I asked a couple of questions. What's your name? Where are you from? What did you do for a living? I wanted to know about his names and titles. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit the same way. How does Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit? I'm going to just point out the low-hanging fruit. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. As a he. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. Not a power. Those might be things we hear when the Jehovah's Witness knock on our door. He's not a power. He is a person. We see in Scripture the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be vexed. He can be lied to. He can make decisions. You know, I like to do my own work around the house. And my electricity has never made a decision whether it was going to shock me or not. If I touched it, it shocked me. It was a force. It was not grieved when I grabbed a hold of it without cutting the circuit breaker off. It did not get upset. It just shocked me. Because it's a power. The Spirit is not a power. The Spirit is a person. We can manipulate energy. We cannot manipulate a person. We, relate, we can say in a way we relate to the Holy Spirit man to man. Or better yet, we can say we relate to the Spirit as God to man. For He's not any person. He's a divine person. Jesus says He proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lie to Peter, Peter in the same breath can say, you lied to God, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's saying the same thing. The Holy Spirit is God. We see in Scripture the Spirit does things only God can do. The Spirit creates. 
The Spirit is involved in new creation and salvation. We see in Genesis chapter 1, this Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. We see in Deuteronomy, when God saves Israel, that He describes the Spirit as fluttering over them the way an eagle flutters or hovers over his young. It is a spirit by which we are born again. It is a spirit by which we are sanctified. It is a spirit who creates and who recreates. Our abuses against the Holy Spirit are an abuse against God. For He is God. But notice there's another thing Jesus says. Jesus refers to the Spirit, and I'm going to use a word not in our Bible, as a paraclete. That's a Greek word. It's a Greek word pregnant with meaning. Why do I say it's pregnant with meaning? Let's see, I've got an ESV, we got an NIV, I think, we got a, King, a New King James or a King James. Each and every one are going to translate that word differently. Because it has so much meaning. It can mean helper. It can mean comforter. It can mean advocate. We can say the Spirit is our helper. Paul says that he helps us in our weakness. And isn't this perfect timing? The disciples face an insurmountable obstacle. So Jesus promises an infinite person. Paul says that when we pray, guess what? The Spirit helps us. Paul says in our fight for sexual purity, the Spirit helps us. Paul says that in the face of sin and Satan, the Spirit helps us. When we read the Old Testament, we see it was the Spirit that guided them in the wilderness. He helped them. It was the Spirit that rested upon the judges. He helped them. It was the Spirit who helped time and time again. And now He helps us in an even greater measure. He is our paraclete. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Comfort is a necessity. When you read Soldier of Soldiers in the Civil War or World War II... What we often find is in their vests, they kept letters from their wives. Or in their helmets, they would keep pictures. They wanted these tokens, these reminders as sources of comfort. In the same way, the Spirit comforts us. We read to the troubled, He comforts us when we have troubled hearts. He comforts our struggling consciences. He comforts those in the midst of suffering. Paul says that the Spirit abides in us that we may cry out, Abba, Father. We see that the Spirit comforts us. That he says in Ephesians 1, He is the seal of our inheritance. That he sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. These are all ways in which The Spirit comforts us. 
There are so many stories of men's last words. When they're dying, they cry out, Mama. Why do men cry out mama in their last moments? They just want to be comforted. Paul says the Spirit strengthens us to cry out Father. For what reason? We want to be comforted. He is a token of our comfort. He is our paraclete. But then Paul, Jesus goes on to say he is our advocate. He is the Spirit of truth that bears witness to Jesus Christ. He's an advocate for us. The, whole, the disciples are going into a world that thinks they're crazy. Does that sound familiar? We're going into a world that thinks biblical convictions are nonsensical. And he says, the Spirit will bear witness to us that when the world hurls accusations against us, the Spirit vindicates us. He is our advocate. When temptation arises that causes us to doubt, the Spirit guides us and convinces us of truth anew. He is our advocate. In a world of falsehoods, He is the Spirit of truth. He bears witness to the truth. Joel Beakey says it like this. Just as Jesus is our advocate in heaven on behalf of his people, so the Holy Spirit is the advocate on earth on behalf of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness. He advocates to us. He is our paraclete. He is a person. He's a paraclete. He comes alongside and he helps. This is who he is. That should tell us something about what he does. Jesus sums it up. He says, he will glorify me. The spirit is a person. But he's a person who, fin- who applies the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, how does the Spirit do this? Well, he tells us two things. First, he says, the Spirit works within the world to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we see that in the pages of Acts. The Spirit is poured out in Acts the beginning of Acts. It comes in tongues of fire. Peter gets up. And what does he do? Well, he does just what the Holy Spirit says. He bears witness to Jesus Christ. Does the Spirit use the preaching of Christ to convict the world of sin? Yes. He says, you crucified Jesus Christ. Does the Spirit use Peter to convict the world of righteousness? Yes, he does. For he says, this Jesus is exalted at the right hand of God. Does the Spirit use Peter to convict the world of judgment? Yes. It says Jesus is exalted as a judge, that he has conquered death. 
over and over in the book of Acts, we see the Spirit working through the words and witness of the disciples. He brings conviction. Now let me add, let me just use some basic common sense. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. How does the Spirit convict the world today? Through the word and witness of Christ's disciples. Through us. Isn't that amazing? That's how he works in the world, but how does the Spirit apply the work of Christ to the church? Well, Jesus highlights three particular things. The Spirit applies the work of Christ in the act of inspiration. The Spirit which bears witness to Christ inspires His Word as a written testimony. As we read the Bible, we see a pattern. Where the Holy Spirit works great miracles, it is followed by the Holy Spirit writing great words. Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Peter says, all men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked organically in these men. Jeremiah and Paul are vastly different. John and Luke, vastly different. And yet the Holy Spirit worked through the personalities and thought processes of these men. He inspired the scripture in its fullness. Paul and Jesus will argue from scripture based on the plurality of a noun are the tense of a verb. The most minute details are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This means that each and every word of the Scriptures bear the authority of God, for they're inspired of God. Each and every verse of Scripture pulsates with the truth of God, for they're inspired by the Spirit of God. That's what he did for the disciples, for the apostles. But what does he do for us? Well, the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ through illumination. Illumination. He worked uniquely in the apostles. But when we read the Bible, he brings it to life. Illumination is the work of the Spirit which enables us to believe and understand the words of Scripture. I could just, if I could be blunt, this is not a John Grisham book. Or as I'm about to find out, this is not Dr. Seuss. Any idiot can read a John Grisham book. But only a spiritual man can read a spiritual book. Only a spiritual man can read a spiritual book. We need the Spirit's help. We need Him to illumine us, to teach us. This isn't the Spirit giving us new words. This is the Holy Spirit applying the same words anew. Jesus says this when He says that all men will be taught of God. That the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of our hearts. 
It is not that we get an education and we master this book. It is that the Spirit through this book masters us. For every page of it bears witness to our master, to Jesus Christ. Lastly, the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ in our salvation. Notice Jesus gives the Holy Spirit a job description. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. This is the bulk of the Spirit's work. What Christ accomplished, the Spirit applies. When we read the life of Jesus Christ, he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. He died and he was rose, he raised from the dead in the power of the eternal Spirit. Each and every facet of Christ's life was carried forth by the power of the Spirit. That same Spirit dwells in us. Now what do we think He's doing? Everything He did for Christ, He does for us. Hey! He is that living bond between us and Christ, between the head and the body. Do you need wisdom and knowledge? Do you need the wisdom and knowledge found in Jesus Christ? It is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Do we need the life and peace and joy that Christ provides? It is applied by the Holy Spirit. Do we need holiness? Do we need the strength to fight sin and temptation? It is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Do we want to be transformed from one degree of glory to another? It is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now think of these things. Wisdom and knowledge. Life and peace. Strength and sanctification. Grace and glory. Aren't these the things in which we desire the most? then we cannot fall into the camp of silence. We must be vocal with the needs we have. We must be vocal of our need for the Holy Spirit. He is not someone to keep in a box. He is not someone that we blanket with silence. We, our desire, our need gives rise to our voice that we are a spiritual people. That we are a people dependent upon the Spirit. But tell me something else. Wisdom and knowledge. Life and peace. Strength and sanctification. Grace and glory. Are these the things that are the most spectacular? Are these the things that make headline news? Do flocks of tens and thousands of people gather to see someone grow in wisdom and knowledge? We imagine that the Spirit only exists in the extraordinary and the exuberant, in the strange and the spectacular. But what we find is the Spirit works in the very ordinary means of grace. 
we find the Spirit operates in the very ordinary, applying all the benefits of Christ. We want the sizzle, but the Spirit gives us the steak. And I shouldn't use the word ordinary, should I? Is someone fighting against sin ordinary? Is a man man combating his anger problem ordinary? Is someone growing in the conformity of Jesus Christ, is that ordinary? That is the most extraordinary act. And that is what The Spirit does for us. He takes what is Christ and He declares it to us. We want the Spirit to come in a torrential downpour once every few years like in California. But I can tell you I'd much rather live in Mississippi where I have rain and dew on a regular basis. The flesh availeth nothing. It is a spirit that gives life. We need to recapture the importance of the Holy Spirit. Despite what we see in other places, we have Scripture as a sure guide of the work of the Holy Spirit. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will do nothing but convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will not take those things of Christ and bring them to you. You will avail nothing. But what we see is Jesus Christ stands and he says, Come and drink without water, without money, without price. Come. He comes and he offers to us the Holy Spirit, this blessed person of the Trinity. We should Call to Jesus and say, fill me with your blessed spirit. He is a person. Let us be a people that treat him that way. Whether that be the reverence we have in worship or the holiness in our life. We are called to be a living sacrifice, not a stinking one. His will is our holiness, for he is the Holy Spirit. He is our paraclete, our comforter, our helper, our advocate. He is everything we need. We must cry out daily for the help of the Holy Spirit. Not one moment do we exist without His help. I entreat all of us here. Let us not fall into the camp of the silence, nor let us look For the spectacular, let us day by day be people, be spiritual people. People dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Now can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I am thankful that the work of Christ is not something abstracted, something far away, something we have no access to, but that Christ comes to us by the Spirit. That when you say that you have given us all things, you take the word all seriously. 
Father, I pray for the powerful working of your spirit here. That sin may be conquered. That Satan may be withstood. That temptation may be fled. That holiness may be gathered. That lives may be transformed. That Jesus may be glorified in, through, and by us. Father, we ask for a pouring out of your spirit upon this church and upon your people. Father, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.